So uh, this morning when I got up really early, uh, we still don't have electricity at our house, so I, didn't, I couldn't really see very well, so I put on my, my sneakers because I could not find my shoes anywhere. Like I know they're in the house somewhere, but I could not find them at all, so uh, forgive my view of uh, tennis shoes. But um, hey, uh, this week right now we're concluding our look at Second Peter we have been looking at the letters and life of Peter for many months now, and today we're going to conclude it. We're looking at the very last few verses of the book, the letter of Second Peter. Starting next week and through the summer, we're going to be looking at the Psalms. So we're going to be looking at different Psalms in the Bible um, uh, and uh, unpacking them a little bit. So today, uh, I want to read for us Second Peter three fourteen to 18. Uh, it's up on the screens behind me and printed in the bulletin as well. This is Second Peter 3, 14 to 18. These are the last verses of his letter uh, to the church. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Um, as uh, Steve comically pointed out, I like to ride my bike, and I usually ride my bike every Tuesday because Tuesday's my day off, and uh, if you are friends with me, you know that I love to talk about the Virginia Capitol Trail because I go over there a lot and I ride it and it's a trail from the city of Richmond all the way to Jamestown uh, and I, I go there usually on Tuesdays and ride around. And when I do that, what I love about it is there's no cars. You can just ride and you can walk and you don't have to worry about cars. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it's wonderful. Um, but usually when I go there, I, I'm listening to something on my iPhone. So I'm usually listening to either, uh, usually lots of podcasts, news, politics, sports, and sometimes, occasionally, I'll listen to sermons. That's true, sometimes. Well, believe it or not, this past Tuesday, I was riding and I was listening to uh, a roundtable discussion uh, held by the Gospel Coalition, and Tim Keller was on there, and they were talking about revival, and I was listening to it, and it, was, it wasn't that long. It was maybe like a 10-minute podcast. And Tim Keller started talking about revival in reference to the way uh, this old guy, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's really old. He's really old. Like London, he's dead now. He's really old. He was a pastor for many years. Um, and he, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was talking about revival. And he said revival is like Elijah building the altar on Mount Carmel. 
Mount Carmel is where he was with the prophets of Baal. If you know your Bible, you know the story that Elijah's there and hundreds of the priests of Baal were there and the Baal, and they were having a battle. It was like a rap battle, but with rocks and fire. And the prophets of Baal, they started building an altar and they, you know, they were dancing around, cutting themselves, doing crazy amount of things, praying to their God of Baal, send fire down, send fire down. And Elijah watches this, does this, mocks them a little bit, um, and nothing happens. And then Elijah builds his altar. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Revival's like Elijah building the altar on Mount Carmel. And he's building his altar, and he's putting rocks, he's putting uh, wood down. And then he says, they actually get water, and they pour water all over the altar. Because, you know, that's really helpful for fire. Not. So they're pouring water on it. Water's flowing. I mean, it's just water's going everywhere. And Elijah, if you know the story, prays to his Lord, Lord, if you hear my voice, send fire down. And immediately fire falls straight from heaven and sets it ablaze. Huge testimony of the Lord. It's an amazing story of the power of God. And revival is like Elijah building the altar. And guess what? Revival, we can't do. Elijah did not set fire. Elijah did not set the wood on fire. He had to wait for the fire to come down from heaven. Knowledge is like us building these woods, building these altars, but we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to actually send revival to us. I was riding my bike and I heard this, and I had been thinking about, uh, this might seem a little too on the spot, but truly, I had been thinking about power for a long time. I know, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm kidding you, I'm not. I've been thinking about this for a while because I've been interacting with so many folks, so many people that have insurmountable problems, insurmountable. And I've been talking to folks that their problems are too big to solve, too big to fix. And my prayers have just simply been, Lord, help this person because they can't do it on their own. They need some something. And I feel like, myself included, I live powerlessly all the time. I heard this story, Martin Lloyd, uh, uh, Tim Keller talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones, talking about Elijah and needing this outside power to come down and revive. we need revival. And I had to stop my bike. I don't, usually don't do that. I had to stop my bike and pull out my phone and write down some notes on what I just heard because it is amazing that we need an external Power, source of power. Um, I know it seems a little on the spot too, but um, when I'm in my neighborhood, just right behind the church, we still don't have power. We also don't have a generator. So therefore, our food's gone. I've thrown away a lot of mustard. Who eats mustard anyway? I'm just, okay, I'm just kidding. But you hear the generator hum. You know, as you're falling asleep, you hear the hum of the generators outside. Uh, it lulls me to sleep. It's like white noise to me. Um, I quite loved it. But in many ways, we run our lives, even us good, solid Christians. Jenny was talking about just the, the running the race that a lot of moms do. All of us, we, many of us run our lives as if we have the power of a generator. Those generators can last a long time. Some people have really nice generators. I've seen them. I've been envious of them. I want one of them. Um, 
But some of those generators can run a long time, but it requires maintenance, doesn't it? It requires fuel. It requires constant attention. You've got to keep going over there. Is my generator still running? It makes a lot of noise. We run our lives on generators, and we feel like, and you walk by the house, does, is electricity come to that house yet? Uh, I see a light on, but I also hear a generator. It's not as bright, so it must not be real power. It must not be Dominion, Virginia power. But I've got to say, we need an outside source of power. So friends, I, I just want you to hear right now, and then we're going to talk about Second Peter, I promise, But I want you to hear, we need an external source of power, and that external source is our God, the Holy Spirit. Our God, the Holy Spirit, who is poured out on our people. I feel powerless a lot in my life. I have problems and I need power and I feel powerless. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Whatever problem you're dealing with, you need the Holy Spirit to tackle it. The great God Himself. So let me be clear about what Second Peter, what excuse me, Second Peter, what Peter's message is in the letter Second Peter. What I think his message is is this: Beloved, as you grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, stand firm. That's his point. Beloved, as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stand firm. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. See, it starts with beloved. I don't know if you've caught this, but it, he said it twice in there. The word beloved is mentioned twice, and it's actually mentioned four times just in this one chapter. Beloved. Beloved is mentioned four times in this one chapter. So who are the beloved? The beloved are believers. And who are believers? Believers are sinners saved by grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Who are beloved? Believers. And who are believers? Believers are people who are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Christian, you are the beloveds of the Lord's. Christian, you are the beloveds of the Lord. You are beloveds of the Lord. Notice I said something different there. I didn't say you are loved by the Lord. That's true. That is absolutely true. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are loved by him. I'm not talking about the love of God. I said you are the beloved. That is who you are. I'm not talking about the love of God. I'm talking about your identity. You are the beloved. Peter wanted his people to know. Jesus wants us to know, his people, we are the beloveds. It speaks to who we truly, truly are. Yesterday I was at a party, uh, and it, it, I actually went to two separate parties yesterday. I mean, I was just out and about, and my four kids were with me, and it was lots of fun, and usually when I'm at parties, I can... Um, we, I don't know how to say it other than um, I get my guns out, okay? Now, this sounds silly, but I'm just like, hey, guy, what's happening? Yeah! It's so silly and stupid. But I, I, I just, I'm like, I'm overly energetic and like, woo, yeah, what's happening? How you doing? Talking with you. I went to like a, 
a, a crawfish New Orleans boil. We were eating crawfish, crawdads. I'd never done this before. It was weird, but delicious. It was delicious. Actually, it truly was delicious. And I'm, you know, I'm doing that. But the reason why I mention it is that my kids were there, and my kids had friends at both of these parties we went to, and they disappeared. They just disappeared, and they just ran, and they ran, and they ran, and they played with their friends, and they hung out with their friends, and it was awesome, and it was great. And when I wanted to leave, I had to wait because my, fr- my kids were out there, and they were at the party, and they were playing with their friends. But when I had to leave, they had to leave too. They were sad about it, weren't you sad? Yes, you were sad when I made you leave. Uh, but they had to leave because I was leaving. They're connected to me. They're my kids. They are my kids. They are, I love them, obviously, but they are mine. They are my kids, and I love them. They are my beloved. And any parent out there knows that, knows that feeling. It's more than just the love I have for them. It's the identity that they are to me. Uh, they are my kids. I am their dad. Um, may, may we be a people who wake up in the morning. May we be a people who go to bed at night and every second in between remembering that we are the Lord's beloveds. Love is, love is, love is, love is, love is God. Love is Jesus Christ. Love is the perfect Trinitarian God who loves his people. God shows the extent of his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is what love is. Beloved, if you believe and trust in Christ, then I tell you that before the beginning of time, Christ loved you. Maybe you need to stop right now and ask yourself, what does God call you? It's probably a good question to ask. What does God call you? Have you ever heard God in your mind's eye actually call you beloved? You are the beloved. You are his beloved. If you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you've forgotten that. Friends, you are the beloved of the Lord's. Verses here in 2 Peter, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them... Did I go... I probably went over. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Friends... Uh, patience is a rare commodity. Um, maybe you also enjoyed, if you went without electricity for a little bit, maybe you enjoyed for a little bit that first 24 hours where you didn't have TV or Wi-Fi or whatever it was, and you enjoyed that the joy of just, oh, it's beautiful weather. I don't need these electricity things. That's wonderful. That's great. Maybe you enjoy those 24 hours. And then like, then like 36 hours, you're like, all right, my cell phone's dead now. Okay, hour 48. You're like, all right, now this is no longer that exciting anymore. Um, we don't have patience in that way. We need the patience of the Lord. We need patience, which is in a rare commodity. I can go without electricity because I know that eventually I'll get it back on and then I can charge my electronic devices. 
That's what I'm all about. But it is difficult for us to wait, to wait, to wait. That's a hard thing to do. We need the knowledge of the Lord. And that's a lot of what he's talking about there in those, in those few verses, in verses 15 and 16. You hear him talking about Paul's letters and, this, and what he calls it, other scriptures. What I want you to hear from this, guys, is Peter thinks that Paul's letters are scripture. Peter and Paul had a disagreement many years before this. Peter was eating dinner with some disciples. Paul came in and saw that actually Peter had distanced himself from the Gentiles. Peter had said, uh, I don't, I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles. I'm going to eat over here with the proper Jews. And Paul came in and chastised Peter. Paul came in and said, Peter, you are wrong. You are distorting the gospel. You are not allowed to do that. Jesus says, all are one who believe in me. You all eat together. Now, we don't really know how that was resolved. Maybe Peter and Paul made up, maybe not. But what I do know is that Peter calls the letters of Paul scripture. So friends, to grow in the knowledge, beloved, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have scripture. We have scripture. Now that's an easy one. That's an easy one. Um, But we twist it. We twist our understanding of what it means to grow in the knowledge. How do we twist scripture? I'll tell you, I twist scripture in this way. I twist scripture when I say, you know what, maybe Jesus doesn't necessarily want me to uh, love that person. (laughs) That person uh, doesn't necessarily need my love because he is way out on the extreme. He and I have such differing political opinions. He and I have such differing theological uh, ideas, opinions, that I'll love him from a far, far distance. And I don't actually listen to the words of Scripture, the words of Scripture to love your enemy, to love your enemy. So, friends, I just want you to hear, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Jesus Christ, we need to read our Scripture. We need to read the Scripture. Now, that's an easy one. But what does it mean to grow in the grace of our Lord and Jesus? This one gets a little sticky. What does it look like to grow in the grace of our Lord and Jesus? Now, growing in knowledge, again, like I said, is pretty clear. That's like easy school system stuff, right? Like, you get knowledge, right? You, like, share, this is what we're going to do. But growing in grace is difficult. I'll just read this one verse, this one quote to you. Ray Ortland said this a few years ago. Faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity in our churches. Sorry, I just used two really big words. Doctrinal purity, sorry. Faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity in our churches. Do you follow me on there? It also requires relational beauty in our churches. It is possible to sincerely preach true doctrines while at the same time utterly deny that doctrine by an anti-ugly gospel culture. I mean, you've all experienced that. I know I've experienced that sometimes. That person over there truly is, he knows everything. He knows everything right about God, but he's a jerk. I I confess, I have have been that person because it's it's so sweet to be right. 
It's so sweet to just say, you're wrong and I'm right. And I have been that person. My wife can attest to that. And it's not good. It's not good. I can be right and still be a jerk. We, to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to stop being jerks, even if we're right. Even if we're right. Um, Everyone here, no matter our tiredness, no matter our affliction, no matter our besetting sin, our hatred, our lust, our jealousies, whatever it may be, everyone can stumble toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord is attracted to needy people. Our Lord is attracted to needy people. Beloved, if you find that you don't need the Lord, then maybe, just maybe, you need to fail. Maybe you need to fail. So last night, we did not have electricity in this building at 5.30 p.m. Okay? So we said we'd make the call at 5 p.m. And so me and a group of people were like texting and we're emailing, we're figuring it out. My kids are playing at the party. I'm leaving the parties to go do all this, trying to figure it out. So at 5.30, we make the call. We are, we are canceling the 9 o'clock service. We're canceling all that other stuff. And we're going to do just the 10.30 service out in the parking lot because we don't have power. That's what happened. That was 5.30. I'd say, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong, what, like 5.50? 5.50, electricity comes to this church. I mean, 20 minutes after we made the call, and I'm sitting there thinking, really? Really? Like, we made the call, and then 20 minutes later, we have electricity. And so then we have to struggle through, okay, well, we canceled everything. We can't really uncancel everything. That would, that would not work, so we've got to stick with the plan but now we can be in the building, and it, it, it worked out great. It worked out wonderful. But i got to say, I was the one that made the call, and I feel like I failed. I did. I felt like, oh, man, I should if I just waited like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, then we could have done everything. It would have been great, and I feel like I failed. And I, I, I still to this very moment still feel like I failed in that call. Now, I'm not asking for you to come up to me later and say, no, Joe, I didn't fail. I'm not asking for you to do that. Um, no, but, but, but truly, I feel like I failed, and I need a Savior. I need Jesus to say, beloved, beloved, I love you. I am for you. I need a Savior, Jesus, to do that to me, even when I fail. So, friends, beloved, maybe you need to fail. So where in your life are you failing? Well, in that area, you need to crawl back to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, Jesus, be my balm to me. Be my blessing to me. Um, We need to, I heard someone say, we need to have churches where Romans 12.10 is our culture. Romans 12.10 is Paul saying this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's Paul writing to the church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, I got that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Guys, I have never met someone who didn't want to be encouraged. I've never met someone that said, "Eh, I'm full up on encouragement. Thanks. I'm good. You don't need to talk to me about it. No, we need to encourage one another. 
We need to encourage one another. To grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is encouraging one another. Do you have a culture, not just in our church, but do you have a culture in your home where you are encouraging one another? Among your kids, we are entering summer. Prayer life should increase. And in that time, maybe, just maybe, it might be a good idea to tell your kids, kids, the number one chore this summer, yes, you've got to make your bed, you've got to brush your teeth, you've got to do all those things, but the number one chore, encourage one another. Maybe, just maybe, our homes can be a place where we have the grace of Jesus Christ busting out of the seams because we are encouraging one another. Honoring one another is the practical outworking of the doctrine of glorification. Here's how I see Christ in you. Um, friends, I think that as we come to the conclusion of Second Peter, come to the conclusion of Peter, I want us to know that you are beloved, that you are growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're growing in the grace of Jesus Christ, and you do that, and when you do that, you can stand firm. So I went out on Thursday night. We were at a swim meet, and the swim meet got canceled. La-di-da, it's terrible. I mean, the Falcons were there. I mean, unbelievable. And so they canceled the swim meet. I, I, I kid. It was a good idea they canceled it. Um, and we go out to the car, and they don't want you to leave for like 30 minutes. Don't leave for 30 minutes. And because they might, it might blow over, and they might call you back into the pool. So we're sitting out there in the car, and we're waiting. And the storm is getting worse and worse and worse. And this is just right around the corner. It, is, it, it was very much in the heart of this storm. It's getting worse and worse. And I had one daughter that was undone by this. She was flipping out. And so I am a rule follower. And I'm like, no, they said we can't leave for 30 minutes. We're not leaving for 30 minutes. And, and Blair is a much loving, more caring mother than I. And she said, Joe, I think it's probably time we leave because she was undone. And then so we we finally go home. We get up there and Blair actually lays in bed with her. I mean, she was shaking. She was so terrified. Um, And I remember going outside, going outside of the building. I'm I'm sharing stories that I know all of you or most of you have experienced as well. Going outside, I open the door and the cat bolts out. Idiot cat. The cat bolts out. And so I'm like standing there calling my cat to come back in, thinking like, cat, <laughs> cat, do you see this? Unbelievable. And so I'm calling the cat, and I'm like standing on the stoop calling this cat, and I feel like I'm in the middle of Wizard of Oz. Like, did anyone else feel that way? I feel like I'm in the middle of the Wizard of Oz. It, the wind was crazy, crazy. And I finally said, well, cat, I hope you survive. And I closed the door. He survived. Don't worry. He's totally fine. But I remember, I mean, you, it, for those of you that, were, that experienced that, you think, is my house going to blow away? And maybe you don't even think that, but maybe you really do think, I know, I truly did think, where is the tree going to fall? Right? Which part of the house is the tree going to fall on? And we have trees everywhere, and we're waiting for the trees to fall. And for humongous trees fell just behind our house, not in our yard, but in another person's yard, crushed their cars. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, we need stability here. 
because we don't have stability right now. Friends, I share that because I want you to know, in Jesus Christ, we have stability. We will not fall. Years ago, I was going under our old house with my son, who's now much bigger now, but he was little at that time, I think still in diapers, and we crawled under the house to look at stuff in the crawl space. And, the, you know, the house just has dirt with, like, the, the um, film on top. I know the film is not the right word, but... That was there. And we're crawling, and we're crawling, and, and, and my son says, Daddy, what's, what's under this, bar- this barrier? And I said, oh, it's dirt. And he thought for a second, and he said... Oh, it's kind of like that guy in the Bible with the house was built on sand. <laughs> and we just, we just read that. Did you hear that? We just read that. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Friends, beloved, when you believe in Jesus, when you grow in the knowledge when you grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, you will not fall. Peter is the symbol of the rock to us. We have the rock, and his name is Jesus. And I'm going to conclude by reading, uh, uh, John Piper wrote this in reference to this verse, and I just thought it was such a great conclusion. It probably was a sermon of his, so this is not my words. This is John Piper writing, so I'm not plagiarizing or anyway. Uh, But this is uh, John Piper concluding this, and I think it's a wonderful way for us to end our time on 2 Peter. He said this, Peter's great desire for these people and for us is that we might experience lots and lots of God's grace. That we might suck it up through our roots and grow by it. That we might soak it in like sunshine through our leaves and grow by it. After Jesus... There is no sweeter word in all the Bible than grace. As Dr. Wyden would say, it is the greatest unused resource in all the world. It is the wealth of God's kindness, the riches of his mercy, the soothing ointment of his forgiveness, the free and undeserved but lavishly offered hope of eternal life. Grace is what we crave when we are guilt-laden. Grace is what we must have when we come to die. Grace is our only ray of hope when the future darkens over with storm clouds of fear. And how shall we receive this grace? Where shall we send our roots down? To what sunshine shall we turn up our leaves? To the promises given to us when the Master bought us by His death. The best fertilizer for our hope and godliness is the knowledge of our future in God's grace. So Peter says, may grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And closes with the command, which we just read, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. If we but knew a fraction of the future God is making for us, if we could begin to feel that all our deepest longings will be satisfied, that every beauty of this world will be preserved and heightened, that every good affection will soar, that every proper relationship will be restored forever, 
that all pain and frustration and ugliness will vanish, that the fish will bite before the worm hits the water, and Jesus will fill the world with golden light. If we could believe what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him, our hearts would be freed from the greed and fears that cause us to sin. We would escape from the corruption that is in the world and become partakers of the divine nature. And here's the very end. The message of Second Peter is that the joy of hope is the power of godliness. The knowledge of God's promises is the pathway of his power. And the promises, the power, the hope, and the godliness are all because of his, Jesus, his grace. And so the book ends. And with these words, we take our leave. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity forever. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that your grace covers all sins. And we thank you that you care for your folks even as we run from you, even as we run and hide from you, that you, Jesus, will pursue your people and your grace covers us. We thank you that not only do you die for friends, but you, Jesus, died for your enemies. And we cling to that and we hope for that. We pray that you make that real to every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're now going to be taking up the offering. And so if you're consider West End Prez home, please give and give generously. If you're visiting with us, uh, please let the plate pass.
stand and continue to sing with us, please.